It's been a busy weekend for several of us, and uh, the, the events keep on rolling here. We uh, have our annual business meeting following our worship service today. Uh, we will not be having upreach tonight. We traditionally don't have uh, upreach the, um, week that we, the month that we do our annual business meeting. Uh, for those of you who uh, don't know, our annual business meeting uh, lasts usually 60 to 90 minutes, maybe somewhere in that range. I, I wouldn't expect it to be less than 90 minutes. That's kind of how I think of it. So we have uh, heavy hors d'oeuvres. Um, hors d'oeuvres is one of the spelling words I give my junior hires. I don't think I've ever had anybody spell it correctly. Yeah, I don't think I've ever had anybody spell it correctly. Um, <laughs> it's a hard one to spell. Um, even I have to write it down to see it. At any rate, um, uh, the business meeting is open to the public. If you want to join our business meeting and see how we conduct our business, you are welcome to do that. You're welcome to uh, stick around and observe. Um, uh, the majority of the time for comment, questions, and so forth will be reserved for our voting membership. And that's just uh, our constitutional, our church's constitutional policy. Although I do think there is a time when non-members are allowed to give input at certain junctures. And so um, um, if you're thinking about making Fellowship Bible Church your home, I would recommend that you stick around for the business meeting. Um, it's important that you see how we conduct our business. And so you know, um, and this probably goes without saying to anybody here, uh, but in case you're unaware, we are a non-denominational church, uh, meaning all of the funds that you see printed out in the bulletin or printed out on our budget sheets are funds that our people have raised, our people have given. Um, we do get donations from um, individuals, but we don't draw funds from an, like, a, like a headquarters, like a denominational headquarters or, or something like that. We're not supplemented by another organization. And so it's a mark of grace that uh, the people that you see have been so generous, and, and, uh, and it's, it's wonderful. We get to choose what we're going to do with those finances, and uh, it's, it's a tremendous blessing. And so uh, I hope you'll stick around um, for that annual business meeting, and if you're a voting member, um, I'm sure you're already planning on doing that. And uh, the heavy hors d'oeuvres were purchased by Ben and Opal, or there's Opal. And so uh, I'm sure they'll be delicious. So, Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58. As I said, we've been slowly working our way through Isaiah 40 through 66. And I've been trying to take it one chapter at a time so that we don't get too bogged down. We're going to read the passage, and then we'll study it. So you know, Isaiah 58 and 59 are basically um, the same sermon. Uh, this is a sermon that Isaiah is supposed to preach to the people. And the content of the sermon goes in chapter 58 and 59. Now, so that we don't get, so that we can cover a reasonable chunk of it in the time that we have, we're going to stick with 58 today. So we'll cover the first half of this sermon, and then we will cover the second half of the sermon next week, which is, of course, Isaiah 59. But let's, let's read the first half of this sermon. Cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. 
yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. They say, that's not in the text, but that's the idea. They say, why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? And now God breaks it. Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours will not make your voice be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. Is, not to, is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless into your house? When you see the naked, to cover him, and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking of uh, speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then your light, uh, then shall your light rise in the darkness, and your gloom be as the noonday. As the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong, and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water, whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets to dwell in. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your own pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, or seeking your own pleasure, or talking idly, uh, that probably should say talking too much, uh, you're always talking, not listening. Then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Let me give, two, let me give a couple of examples from regular life where we might be able to understand a little bit better of what's going on here. You should imagine a, a, a wife, and uh, she's, been, she's been cooking a certain meal for a decade or more for her husband. And one day, the, one of the kids says, Mommy, I don't like that dish. And the husband says, It's okay, son, I don't like it either. And his wife says, What? I've been making this dish for a decade, and you didn't like it? And he says, Well, you never asked. Some ladies at that moment will be sad. Some ladies at that moment will be mad. And some ladies will just keep on going cooking the same dish. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> okay? Imagine 
another husband and wife. The husband gets it in his mind that the dining room needs wainscoting. And so he buys equipment, buys the supplies, kind of takes over a whole half of the house, sets up a dust-free environment, cuts everything up, gets everything joined, puts it on the wall, nails it down, but that's only half the job. Now he has to putty all the nail holes, caulk all the seams, prime it, paint it. This project ends up taking weeks. And as he's getting toward the end, his wife says, I really need to spend some time with you. And he says, well, I'm just, I've just been so overwhelmed with this wainscoting project. And she says, well, I didn't want you to do the wainscoting project. And he says, yes, you did. She says, no, I didn't. You wanted to do it. And he says, I asked you. I said, do you, wouldn't you like wainscoting in here? And she's like, yeah, sure. And what she meant was, maybe someday in the distant future when money and time aren't a factor, sure, I suppose I could like wainscoting in here. And maybe deep inside he knew that, but he wanted wainscoting, and he wanted the project. And he says to her, I did this for you. And she says something like this, no, honey, I, I think you did it for yourself. Okay. Is this a fictional story? Have, have, have any of our husbands engaged in something like this at some point in time or another? Are you afraid to raise your hands? Okay. I'm seeing some grins, so I think this may have happened a time or two uh, to, to everybody in here. Well, what happened? What happened in each of these cases? You had two people that love each other who are trying, sort of trying, using as a pretext the other to do what they really want to do. You see. In the case of the husband, what he really wants is to do this home improvement project for whatever reason. And he's using his wife's desires as a pretext to do whatever he wants to do. Well, that's an example on the human level of what God is getting at here with the Israelites, or with the, Jew, with the people from Judah. They are doing what they really want to do. And they're using God talk, they're using spiritual sounding words, they're using spiritual looking uh, ceremonies that God never asked for, and that God did not design and they're doing it to try to curry the favor of God and then getting mad at God when God doesn't honor it even though God never asked for it. Okay? They are coming to God and imposing on God, God, you will honor us for this. And God would say to them, I never asked for that. I asked for this over here. And you're unwilling to give me that over there. Then I would hear you. Then I would bless you. Then I would heal you. And so here you have this sort of standoff between the people of God and, the, and God. The people of God want to bring what they want to bring to God and serve themselves. And God is saying, no, you need to bring what I want you to bring and serve others. You see. Let me show you this from the text so you can see what I'm talking about. 
the purpose of these two chapters is stated right in the first few verses, verses 1 and 2. Isaiah has been commanded by God to preach a sermon. Now, this sermon is supposed to be notable for a few different things. Now, you've got to remember, if you've read through the book of Jeremiah, the book of Ezekiel, you see that God often tells the prophet to look a certain way or act a certain way in delivering a message. And the way that they look and act underscores the content of the message. So, for example, he wanted uh, Jeremiah to uh, wear around an old piece of uh, an old garment for a long time, an old loincloth for a long time, buried under the ground, then put that thing on, and it stinks. And okay? he wanted um, uh, later on, John the Baptist would wear sackcloth, and he would eat locusts and honey, and all, and live out in the woods. And this was a a visual sign of the message. Okay? And that's what God wants here. He wants the demeanor of Isaiah's preaching to match the urgency of the message. He wants, there's something urgent and pungent about the message that even Isaiah's demeanor is supposed to get across. So read this. He says, cry aloud. Do not hold back. Uh, I'm going to give you a literal translation of this. Cry out in the throat. Hold nothing back. Elevate your voice like a trumpet and loudly denounce the transgressions or their transgressions to my people. What do you think, if you could put this in your words, what do you think the preaching of Isaiah is supposed to look like visually even if you heard no words? What's it supposed to look like? Sound like? Admonishment, yeah. What else? Bold. What else? Loud. Unrestrained. If people are sitting on the front row, they get spit on. Okay? He works himself into a frenzy. He's sweaty. He's passionate, right? This is supposed to be, and this is all supposed to underline the urgency of what God is trying to get across to them. There, let me give you the, um, let me give you the uh, outline of the passage so that you can kind of see where we're going. Verses 2 through 5 is the condemnation. In verses 2 through 5, God is going to tell them what the problem is. And then, in three sections after that, God is going to give some like if-then statements. If you'll do this, I'll do this. If you'll do this, I'll do this. If you do this, I'll do this. Okay? Some conditions. I want to bless you, but you're going to have to do these things to get my blessing. Uh, in verses 6 through 9, that condition is set forth with a rhetorical question. And then 9 through 12, it's actually a question in verses 13 through 14. It's actually a question. If you do, I'm sorry, not a question, an if. If you do this, I'll do this. But it takes the form of an if then with a rhetorical question in 6 through 9. Does that make sense, everybody? First, first, first few verses, 2 through 5, God lays out his transgressions, lays out the transgressions of the people. And then he gives them three if thens. If you do this, then I will do this. If you do this, then I will do this. If you do this, then I will do this. And he's trying to encourage them to obedience. Now let's see what this condemnation is in verses 2 through 5. 
He says, first of all, there's a whole lot of hypocrisy going on. Now, they seek me daily, and they delight to know my ways. Okay? They, they're, they're always out with their mouths every day saying they want to hear from me. They talk and swoon over preachers who effectively communicate the word of God. They are the type of people who bring their Bibles to church because they want to hear good preaching. They're the type of people who are faithful to church every week because they have this outward appearance that they want to hear from God. And God says they do these things as if they really want to hear from me. It's not genuine. It's not in there. They're pretending. They're going through the motions of looking like they delight in me, like they seek me, but they don't. They forsake the judgment of God. It says, as if they delight to draw near to God. Let's go down to verse 5. He says, they have a fast, and they bow their head down like a reed. Uh, I think what this is trying to picture is, um, uh, like along the riverbank, you'll see these uh, bulrushes and reeds that grow up. And eventually they just get too high, and it breaks in the middle and just kind of falls over on itself. It's bowed down low. And that's the picture, bowed down. They, when these people who are pretending like they want God, like like they're seeking God, like they delight in God, they, they bow like a reed. It says they, they put sackcloth on and they spread ashes beneath them. They, they, they actually go to the trouble of dressing up like people who really want to hear from God and who are, who are sorrowful over their sins. They're going through the motions in these regards. Everything outwardly looks like that should have, like, like they really want to serve God. But there's a problem. There's a problem. They say, they sense, verse 3, they sense that God is not listening. They sense that even in these religious ceremonies, even in this bowing down, even in putting on the sackcloth and sitting on ashes, that their prayers are rising no higher than the ceiling. They've got many prophets telling them that that's so. Yet they keep persisting at doing these fasts. And God says, I'm not listening. And the people say, why aren't you listening? We know that you're not listening. And God answers. They say, why, why have we fasted? Why have we humbled? And you don't, you don't acknowledge it. And God says this, behold, in the day of your fast... You seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice be heard on high. Now let's pause right here and understand something. There were a lot of different fasts in... Uh, there were a lot of different fasts in the nation of Israel at this time. A lot of different types of fasts that Judah was putting on. I'd like somebody to take a guess for me. How many fasts, how many fast days a year 
does the Old Testament require? Okay, so 52 weeks a year. Dan would say 104 days a year. The Old Testament required fasting. Okay? Somebody else would, would somebody else like to guess? And that, that, that's, that's not a bad guess. And there's some biblical rationale there. Okay? How, how many fasts does the law, does the Torah require per year? I'm going to give you a hint. It's less than 104. <laughs> but good, good rationale. I like that rationale, Dan. Okay. Danielle says 50. Uh, it's less than that. Okay. Less than 10. <laughs> less than three. <laughs> Everybody, one. There's one fast day in Israel that's required. Let's turn there and see it. It's the Day of Atonement. Go to Leviticus chapter 16. Okay, Leviticus, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. So it's the third book of the Bible. We will not be preaching through Leviticus following our series in Exodus. Leviticus 16. Okay, this is the Day of Atonement, and it's the one fast day that's required. And here it's described. Let's read verse. Begin reading in verse thirty. For on this day of atone, uh, for on this day shall atonement be made for you, to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you, and you shall afflict yourselves. It is a statute forever. Go to chapter 23. Go to chapter 23. We get a little further instruction on this. Verse 27. We'll begin reading in verse 26. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Now in the tenth day of this seventh month is the day of, the, is the day of atonement. It shall be for you a time of holy convocation, and you shall afflict yourselves and present a food offering to the Lord. And you, shall do, and you shall not do any work on that very day, for it is the day of atonement, to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. For whoever is not afflicted on that very day shall be cut off from his people. And whoever does any work on that very day, that person I will, I will destroy from among his people. You shall not do any work as a statute forever throughout your generations and all your dwelling places. It shall be to you a Sabbath of solemn rest, and you shall afflict yourselves. Okay? Let's go down to verse 32 of that same chapter. Oh, I already read that. It shall be to you a Sabbath of solemn rest, and you shall afflict yourselves. On the ninth day of the month, beginning at evening, from evening to evening, shall you keep your Sabbath. Okay, what, what are the chief characteristics of that day? Uh, no work. What else? Danielle said it. Afflict yourselves. Yeah. So it's the one day of the year that there's supposed to be a fast. And it's supposed to be a day of national grief over the sins that they've committed. Okay? 
I have sinned against the Lord, and today, the Day of Atonement, God cleanses me from my sin, and I'm having this day of grief over the transgression that I've committed against the Lord. Now let's go back to Isaiah and see what these people are doing on the many other fast days that God didn't ask for. (laughs) Okay? He says this, You fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. They're not afflicting themselves. Who are they afflicting? Others. Apparently, this was something in this was maybe something of sport. Or you had bored young men wandering around the streets of Jerusalem, starting fights. It was it became just a part of life and a time for recrimination and fighting and quarreling. Okay? He says, You're oppressing your workers. You're supposed to be releasing these workers on the Day of Atonement. You're supposed to be releasing Jewish slaves, but you continue to oppress them. So, they're supposed to afflict themselves, but who are they afflicting? Others. Let's go down. And he says, um, he says, uh, verse 5, is such a fast that I choose for a person to humble himself? So, God is trying to say, your fasting is all wrong. Your fasting is not something that I have called for. Okay? Now, God is calling them out on this. And now, beginning in verse 6, he's going to begin to tell them what a fast or what true religion would look like if they would just listen to him. Okay? He says, um, he says this is the fast I would choose, verse 7. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry? Uh, Before that, is it not to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, to break every yoke? Is it not to share the bread with the hungry and bring the homeless into your house? When you see the naked, to cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh? Okay. Did you notice something about this? Did you notice something about this? Sharing bread, sharing bread with people who need it. What is that? What do you do with bread when it's given to you? You eat it. What, what weren't these people doing on fast days? Eating. <laughs> God says, listen, the fast day, the fast day that I would honor looks so different from the fast day that you've picked. In your fast day, you think you're spiritual because from sun up to sundown you don't eat food. I would much prefer a day where instead of afflicting other people with this righteousness that you're putting on, you have a party and invite homeless people into your house and feed them. I would much more prefer, instead of using this religion as a club to get from your servants what you want, I would much prefer you to have a feast, to have a party, where you release these prisoners according to my law. Okay? 
Now, does God want them to to keep the Day of Atonement? Of course. But God is saying, drop these other fast days from your calendar and actually do the things I want you to do in liberty by liberating others, by serving others, by helping others. If I could, if I could put it this way, imagine, imagine a, 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 a person, a wealthy person, giving, going to his church on Sunday morning and giving exactly 10% of his income to the penny. And he feels very good about that. feels very good about himself for that. And then he leaves church, hops on a private jet, flies to Vegas, and watches, participates in, sits in the front row of a cage fight. He wagers $100,000 on the fight. He spends money for others to get drunk while watching the fight. Does he have a right to complain that God doesn't care about his 10%? No, God would say, what are you doing? Do you think your 10%, so carefully given, cancels out all this other stuff you've been doing? That's essentially what the Israelites, what the people of Judah were doing. And, they, and God says, that's why God says, I hate these fasts. Because you're trying to get something out of me. You're trying to use me with these religious observances. And what I would want from your religious observances are something totally different. He says this. He says, let's go down to um, verse uh, verse 10. If you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places, and make your bones strong, and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water, whose waters do not fail. Okay? The, the, the excuse that the people were giving was, if we were truly to help these people who were disadvantaged, we ourselves would go poor in the process. Therefore, we're not going to do anything. And it's an excuse for greed, is what they were doing. And God says, if you would just give yourselves to the needy in your community, don't you think I can control your income? Don't you think I can give you more than you thought you could have? And your light would rise in the darkness, your gloom be as the noonday? The Lord would guide you continually and satisfy your desire in the scorched places? Go down to verse 13. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable? If you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking too much, then you shall take delight in the Lord and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. So, apparently, when it came to perhaps the Day of Atonement or some of these other fast days, the people were going through the religious motions, but in their hearts, they were begrudging the day. They didn't want to do it. They thought of it as an, as an annoyance, a nuisance. Yet they were trying to do these ceremonies to earn the favor of God. And God says, look, 
I want you to keep my Sabbath day. I want you to keep the day of atonement. I want you to keep the days that I've prescribed. And instead of adding all these other things that I didn't tell you to do, if you would with delight keep what I have told you to do, there would be great reward. You would, you would flourish if you honored it. And do you remember what we learned about the Day of Atonement? It was a day of affliction, a day of grief, a day to make an offering to the Lord, a day to afflict ourselves. And God says, it's like, you're doing all the things I told you I didn't ask for, and the thing that I did ask for, you're failing in. Okay? On the one day that I asked you to fast, you're making it about you. You're going about your own business. You're doing your own thing. And so God is trying to recalibrate their understanding of who God is, what God is asking for. And I think... I think in chapter 58, what God is doing is he is, he is honing in on the sin of presumption. Okay? The sin of presumption and the sin of kind of a heartless extra religion. Okay? Getting down to the point. Getting down to the point. All over this world today, all over this world, I think I'm safe in saying hundreds of millions of people today are going to gather to worship the Lord just like you're doing today. And they will do it thinking that God will hear it, that God will bless it. Some of it, God will hear and God will bless. And some of it, God will turn a deaf ear to and will turn his back on. How would you know which yours is? How would you know which yours is? God is saying, by taking heed to what I've said, not adding extra things in and thinking I'm going to do them just because you've added them in, not dismissing things I have commanded and going your own way on that. God is essentially saying, if I really truly am your God, you will allow me to shape how you worship and how you honor and how you follow me, you see. And when you allow the Lord to do that, then that is worship the Lord will truly hear. And that is the worship the Lord will truly um, take delight in. Okay? Does that make sense, everybody? You see what's going on here in this passage? Okay. We'll get to the second half of the sermon next week. All right, Father, thank you. For Isaiah 58, I pray that you would help us to see um, what you're trying to tell these people and help us to make accurate application to it in our covenant context. For we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.